Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. There is a huge difference between when your family doctor tells you that your child has a vitamin deficiency and that you need to add vegetables and vitamins to his diet than if the doctor tells you that you have high cholesterol and cholesterol plaque build up in your arteries. One demands nothing more than introducing more positive stuff into one's life, while the other speaks of a pre-existing negative situation in our life, which demands the work of transformation through strict diet and vigorous exercise. And so it is spiritually as well. However, before we speak of religious spirituality, let us speak of spirituality of good character versus character defects. There is a difference between having to develop and strengthen good character traits versus removing pre-existing character faults. Here too, one speaks of introducing and strengthening the good, while the other speaks of a hard-earned removing of and the transformation of negative ingrained character faults. Here too, the latter is far more difficult. Now we can speak of the religious spirituality. The Torah tells us that Torah study and commandment observance brings blessings into our lives. When we feel that we are lacking in blessings, we add on in our Torah study, commandment observance, and acts of goodness and kindness to our fellow. However, there are times that we aren't merrily suffering from the absence of God's blessings. Rather, we are dealing with the reality of true darkness and negativity in our lives. Last, week's Torah, last week, the Torah told us that if we walk in God's statutes, we, we will receive God's blessings. Then the Torah goes on to say, And if you despise my statutes and reject my ordinance, I will order upon you shock, consumption, fever, and disease that cause hopeless longing and depression. I will set my intention against you. There is a difference between not doing God's commandments out of laziness and weakness and of actively despising and rejecting God's commandments. The latter is where God says, I will order upon you shock, etc. I will set my attention against you. Thus we speak here of a darkness that is the absence of light and of a darkness which is a something an existence of its own, outside of being the absence of light. In turn, we speak of an experience of darkness that is the absence of blessings, and we speak of an experience which is the presence of a dark curse. In this lecture, we are going to explore the transformation of the latter darkness into the highest form of light. Generally speaking, in the study of Genesis, we see that before God created anything, the state of existence was, and I quote to you the verse, now the earth was astonishingly empty and darkness was on the face of the deep. After which, the next verse goes on to say, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. We see no mention in Genesis that God ever created something called darkness. Rather, darkness was what there was before God created light. Based on this understanding, we are taught one does not chase away darkness with a broomstick. Rather, one dispels darkness by introducing light. 
in our daily prayers, we make a blessing which reads, Blessed are you, goes on, who formed light and created darkness. What we are seeing in this blessing is not only that God created darkness, but that darkness is more powerful than light. Light was only formed, meaning remolded from a pre previously ex previous existence, while darkness was created. The power of creating something out of nothing is the full embodiment of God's essence power, which only God and no creation has. Thus, the blessing seems to be saying that first God created of ex nihilo the darkness, and then from the something God then formed light. Parathetically speaking, it is interesting to note that science is now first discovering that the foundation of the universe seems to be built on what they are calling dark matter, which seems to be the far deeper DNA existence of the universe upon which all matters of light are then introduced. Our Torah portion begins with God commanding Moses to take a census of the children of Israel. For this reason, our sages instituted the Haftorah reading for this Torah portion be from a portion in Isaiah, which begins with the verse, and the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which shall neither be measured nor counted. Now, while many dismiss the distinct wording of our prophets as poetic ruse, Kabbalah and Hasidus see God's precise perfection in the choice of wording of the prophecy. Thus, there is the question that in the opening of the verse, Isaiah speaks of the Jewish people having a countable number, albeit a number as vast as the sand of the sea, yet a countable number nonetheless. While in the closing of the verse, Isaiah says that the children of Israel will have no measurable or countable number. Isaiah is now speaking of the children of Israel being infinite, impossible of being measured or counted. This paradox needs to be understood. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, a paradox is not understood by negating one or the other, for all is true. Rather, the paradox is solved by taking us beyond the naked eye of the mind where there is the coexisting of a seeming paradox. The last introduction to understand on a mystical level what happened at Mount Sinai 3,329 years ago in the Jewish calendar year of 2,448. The Talmud points out that in Genesis we find an alteration of terminology concerning the sixth day of creation. Concerning all the other days, the verse states, and I quote, and it was evening and it was morning, day one, two, three, without the prefix hey, which means the, on the sixth day it states, and it was evening and it was morning, the sixth day. Whenever we find a prefix hey, the, the verse is speaking of a specific mentioned one. Thus our sages extrapolate and say, a condition God made with creation, that if the Jewish people will accept the Torah on the sixth day of the month of Sivan, then creation will continue to exist. From this we see that what happened at Mount Sinai on the sixth day of Sivan, the holiday of Shavuos, was the purpose of creation, upon which it depends if the universe will remain in existence or not.
What this means on a mystical level takes us back to the teachings in Kabbalah and Hasidis on the process of creation through which the universe was created. In brief, we are taught that before Genesis there existed, I quote, He and His infinite light, blessed be He. And the first point of creation was a tzimtzum, a contraction, within the illumination and expression of the infinite light, which created a void of infinitism, where a finite universe can be created. In the void, there would be introduced a kav, ray of light, which would create finite vessels into which the light of life would shine. The goal of this process, as explained in the teachings of Hasidus, is that there would be finite, disconnected vessels with freedom of choice, which would then freely choose to introduce God and His infinite light into their being and realm of existence. Thus, what we have here is the mission to introduce God's infinite light into our finite world. This is what happened on the sixth day of Sivan, when the children of Israel accepted God's Torah and its commandments. Unlike all other creations in the universe, even including the soul as she evolves into a creation, were processed by the Tzimtzum. The only exception is the Torah, which is a primordial existence that was brought into the universe on the sixth of Sivan untouched by the Tzimtzum. This is why our sages refer to the Torah as the pure oil which feeds the candle of God totally consumed with no residue. The Torah is called the infinite wisdom of God and the commandments are called the infinite wisdom of the infinite will of God. More than this, at the, the very first word of the Ten Commandments is Anochi, an unusual non-Hebrew term for I, which stands for the acronym Ana Nafshis Kisavis Yehavis, I, God, my soul, essence, have given into my writings, the Torah. Nevertheless, the Torah manifests itself within the finite vessels of the vessel of the human mind and the commandments manifest themselves into the finite laws of finite physical laws of nature and finite physical items. This is the fulfillment of Genesis, the purpose of creation, to introduce the infinite light into finite vessels of the universe. Thus we now have the experience of our Haftorah's verse in Isaiah. And the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which shall neither be measured nor counted. The mystical point of this verse is the fulfillment of the purpose of creation. The infinite light of which shall neither be measured nor counted is precisely to close itself within the finite vessels of and the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. Before he died, Leonard Cohn composed a song called You Want It Darker, in which he tells God, Magnified, sanctified, be thy holy name. You want it darker, Hineni, I am ready, my Lord. And as such it truly is. We are going to explore that the Torah and its commandments do not fully complete the ultimate desire and purpose God has for creating the universe. Torah and commandments are of light by nature, and they dispel the darkness of a universe that was created void of the revelation of God's infinite light. 
However, what of the darkness that is not just devoid of God's infinite light, but is something, a tangible existence of darkness? The Torah has 365 prohibitions whose entire focus is upon the creations of impurity and darkness. What these 365 prohibitions direct us to do is to stay away, separate ourselves, and exhibit abstinence of darkness. The outcome of observing the prohibitions is, the, is to dispel the darkness from existing within our midst. And then, introducing the light of the Torah and commandments into our midst. However, the existence of a something called darkness still remains. On a deeper note, this darkness too is a creation of God and serves a purpose beyond just being removed from our midst. What is the purpose and mission of this darkness beyond just giving us the ability to choose good and light over evil and darkness? The answer is that this darkness too is part of God is everything and everything is God. And as a matter of fact, this darkness is a creation directly of the darkness of God. The verse in Psalm states, He made darkness his hiding place about him as his booth, the darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. The light of God refers to God's infinite light while the darkness of God refers to the essence of God, which is beyond form, description, and revelation. The existence of a something called darkness cannot come from a something called light. Even if we are speaking of the infinite light, for she is, by definition, light and produces only light. However, the essence of God is not defined by light and or defined by light any more or less than it is defined by darkness. And it is only from the essence of God that a something called darkness comes forth from. And thus, it is only from the essence power of God that this darkness can be transformed into the infinite essence relationship with God. So, if the Torah and commandments are a being of light and only deals with light, transforms the neutral, and dispels the darkness that is but the absence of light, then how do we engage and transform a something called darkness? The answer is teshuva, repentance, returning. Teshuva is a direct act of the essence of our souls, which is the embodiment of God's essence power and connected directly to God's essence beyond the light of Torah and commandments and beyond our connection with the infinite light of God. Let us begin our exploration with getting a deeper understanding of what commandments do. Commandments are referred to as the seeds of God, which God planted within the land of desire of God, which is us. From a Torah perspective, the power of reproduction lay not in the seed, but in the earth. In Genesis, the verse says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, seeds yielding herbs, and fruit trees producing fruit according to its kind, in which its seed is found on the earth. And it was so. And the earth gave forth vegetation, seed yielding herbs according to its kind, and trees producing fruit in which its seed is found according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Aha! Uh -huh. So God spoke to the earth, empowering the earth with the power to bring forth produce. The job of the seed is to arouse from the depths of the earth 
its infinite power of reproduction and to bring it forth into a specific spot and production of a specific produce. How does the seed arouse the reproduction power of the earth? The mystical answer lay in the scientific fact that the seed decomposes before the earth gives forth the produce. So to the process of the children of Israel receiving the commandments, the seed of God demands first and foremost the humility of the children of Israel in their observance of God's commandments. This is what arouses the power of the produce of light to come forth. Additionally, our sages tell us that no one sows one measurement of seeds to get back one measurement of produce. Rather, one sows for the sake of receiving many measurements of produce from this one measurement of seeds. So too, the power of the finite physical observance of the commandment is for the produce of the infinite light. What is the humility that produces that, that the produce of commandments demand of us. The purpose of humility is for us to have unification with God. The ground rule for us to have a relationship and unification with God is found in the following teaching of the Talmud. I quote, Of him who slanders, the Holy One blessed be he says, he and I cannot live together in the world as it is said, who slandereth his neighbor in secret, hint will I destroy. Whoso is haughty of eye and proud of heart, him I will not suffer. The word the Talmud goes on to say, some refer this not to the slanderer, but to the arrogant, the haughty of eye and the proud of heart. Simply said, God and ego are two like poles of a magnet that repel each other. Thus, the unification process with God, in which we are to see that God is one with us and His universe, depends upon our humility. The greater the humility, the greater plane of oneness and unity that we can live within. Generally speaking, humility primarily divides into two levels. A. Humility of the something. And B. Humility of the existence. The first humility is the abnegation of the ego. It doesn't delve into our existence being that of nothingness. Rather, it defines that our ego is nothingness. In other teachings, we refer to this as, without God, I am nothing. However, God did create me to be a something, and thus, with God's creating me, I am a something. This allows us to live within the conscious of the lower unification, in which there are two identities unified. There is God, there is us, and as long as I am connected and unified with God, I exist. The higher level of humility is the humility of essence, in which existence, I'm sorry, of existence, in which we truly live in the conscious that our very existence is of nothingness. This allows us to live within the conscience of the higher unity in which God is everything and everything is God. And thus there are no two identities connected and united as one. Rather, there is only the one identity of God is everything. The humility, the humility, humility necessary for us to receive, arouse, and bring forth the infinite light produce of the seeds of the commandments is only the lower humility of something, 
in order to live in the conscience of the lower unity. This is why in the Torah and its commandments there exist two identities, that of the 248 commandments engaging with the holy, pure, and neutral, and that of the 365 prohibitions dealing with the evil and with darkness. Additionally, within evil and darkness itself, the Torah's commandments only deal with the darkness that is but the absence of light, by directing us to introduce light into everywhere and every situation that it is permissible, and to abstain from anything in which we cannot introduce light. This also explains why the Torah only speaks of teshuva concerning unintentional sins, for which we can bring atonement and be forgiven. However, the Torah cannot help with teshuva for intentionally committed sins. This is beyond the power of the infinite light of Torah and can only be dealt with by the essence darkness of God. Through the depths of teshuva from the essence darkness of our souls embedded within the essence darkness of our selfless hearts. Now let us explore the level of humility that Teshuvah demands of us. The job of Teshuvah is to rectify and transform the depths of a something called darkness, which is the experience of an intentional sin, committed in the spirit of the verse we previously quoted. And if you despise my statutes and reject my ordinance, for this to happen, we must live within the consciousness and realm of existence in which God does not just exist within light, but where God is everything, and everything includes a something called darkness. In addiction recovery, there is a step seven prayer which begins with, I quote to you the prayer, My Creator, I am now willing for you to have all of me, good and bad. You would be amazed at how many people struggle with those simple words, good and bad. How can I tell God that He can have my bad? Why? I need to hide and deny my bad, for if I have bad, then God won't have me. And nevertheless, before the prayer goes on to ask God to, and I quote, remove from me every single defect of character, end quote, we must first be talking to a God who is capable and willing to have all of me, good and bad. Otherwise, a God that cannot have my bad cannot forgive nor transform my bad. That God lives within the boundaries of light and can only embrace goodness and light. At best, that God can only can look away I'm sorry, that God can look away only from the unintentional evil and darkness contingent on my promising to never allow for a void of light to exist within me anymore. However, a something called darkness is completely out of the realm of the lower unification in which there are boundaries of identities. It is only within the higher humility of existence which bathes in the consciousness that God is everything and everything is God, and we mean absolutely everything, that a something called darkness and intentionally committed sins can be embraced, transformed, I'm sorry, can be embraced and transformed. It is only with this essence darkness of our souls, which is unified with God in everything we do, even in our intentionally committed sins, that we can accept our past and transform it into a usefulness for God. Thus our sages say of Teshuvah that, and I quote to you, intentional sins are made for him as merits.
This is the ultimate power of Chula that exists between the essence connection between the essence darkness of our souls and the essence darkness of God, which embraces and transforms even a something called darkness into the most brilliant of merits. In closing, in closing, to make this lecture practical, I will sum it up in one sentence. People, let's get over ourselves. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves, even at the most shameful parts of ourselves and of the most shameful acts of our past. Why and how? By having a relationship with an unconditional God of essence darkness who is always with us and is always waiting of us to turn around and face him. Think now please of the poem called Footsteps in which this man at the end of his life speaks to God of how he sees in the footprints upon the beach sands of life that in the hardest times of his life there was only one set of footprints. The person asks God, why was God not with him at his hardest times? God answers that the one set of footprints the man sees in the sands are God's and that God was carrying him at those times. Now, dare to embrace that the dark times of the poem are actually speaking of the times of our darkest behaviors and darkest intentionally committed sins. And yes, the essence darkness of God was carrying us precisely in those moments. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here, at the platform of the Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.